Hello and welcome to the final part in a series of videos that I am putting out this week where I break down all the fights taking place tonight at UFC 240 from a betting perspective. Now I've already covered 6 fights on this card which you can check out by clicking the links in the description to view parts 1 and 2 in this series of videos and in this final video where I combine parts 3 and 4 I will be smashing through the final 5 fights to let you know how I think it's going to play out from a betting perspective and if there are any more potential bets on this card. So also guys want to say a big thank you to everyone that has left a comment on the first two videos that I put out. I've tried to reply to everyone and if I haven't got back to you yet I will definitely do my best throughout the rest of the day to respond to your comments. So big shout out to everyone that left a comment. I really appreciate it. Also don't forget to leave me a comment in today's video to let me know what you thought of the breakdowns today. If you agree, if you disagree or if I missed anything out. And also please guys hit the like button below. It helps the channel grow a lot. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. Now, what do you think of the new camera angle boys? Let me know what you think. Working with a slightly different setup at the moment because like I said a few weeks ago, I am investing in tons of new equipment to basically give you guys way more content and way better content. So even though the camera difference is only a subtle change at the moment, the shit that's going on in the background is much bigger. And I just want to also uh, talk about live streams because obviously it's been a while since I've done a live stream. We've got Mr. Maxwell here. He's one of my elite members uh, asking in the chat room if there's going to be a live stream today. And unfortunately, at the moment, I am unable to do live streams due to some technical issues that I've got. But I will be buying a new PC during the big break in the UFC schedule coming up in November. In November, the UFC have got like two weeks off. They've got a break at the beginning of the month and a break at the end of the month. So what I plan to do is build a new PC in that time. And then I'll be doing live streams every week after that. And I'll also be doing my best to bring you daily content. At the moment, to record, edit and upload one of these videos takes between six and eight hours. So as soon as I get that new PC sorted, I'll be able to smash out content much faster. It is coming in November. I know we've got a break in August, but unfortunately, I'm traveling to Singapore and Bali during that two-week break. I'm taking a bit of a holiday, so I won't have time to build a new PC then. And the reason why I can't build a new PC sooner is just because fight research is so time consuming you know spend 30 to 40 hours a week researching fights I don't have enough time to take all my stuff off my old PC and move it onto a new one so the camera angle the different camera angle is a little clue to the kind of shit that will be coming I am working on a lot of stuff in the background and right now I'm just buying every single piece of equipment I can to streamline the whole video upload process without actually getting to the meat and potatoes which will be a new computer in November and then you can expect a lot more content coming out much faster much earlier in the week and a lot more regularly but enough of that because that's boring and most of you don't care anyway what you care about is fights and some fight analysis so let's get into the first fight that I want to talk about in today's video which is going to be Sarah Frotter against Gillian Robertson now this fight gave me a massive headache and I spent more time researching this fight than any other fight this week I probably put three or four hours research into this fight alone and I actually researched it three times I initially researched it at the beginning 
beginning of the week. Then I went back and researched it when the over-unders got released because uh, it was very unusual to see uh, the over on a female fight capped at over or under 1.5 rounds because obviously the majority of female fights go the distance and uh, and then I, I actually researched it again for a third time yesterday when uh, Sarah Frotter's odds improved from around about even money up to around about 2.25 so researched it three times it's given me a massive headache all week I've gone back and forth on it in my head all week. In, in fact, I haven't gone back and forth. It's not accurate for me to say that. At no point this week have I even considered betting on Gillian Robertson. I don't think she's a very good bet at all. But I have given a lot of thought towards betting Sarah Frotter. Um, but you know what they say, or actually they don't say it, but a personal philosophy of mine is the longer that you spend deliberating over a bet, Without coming to a point in time where you feel confident in a fighter, the more the more reason you have to pass. And I guess some of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about in this breakdown will hopefully explain the reasons why I guess I feel passing is the right move. But I'm still very much unsure on this one. So leave a comment in the comments below and give me your opinion Uh after you just hear me out on this fight, I guess, because it has given me a massive, uh, massive headache, headache, and it's given me a headache because I do want to bet Frota. Um, so, you know, why is this an easy, easy fight for? Or, or why do I want to bet Frota? Well, quite simply because it's an easy stylistic matchup for her. Gillian Robertson, very one-dimensional. She's a pure. Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner with no striking offense, no striking defense, not much wrestling. You know, she's very weak with her offensive wrestling. You know, everything that she brings to the table is on the ground. And although she's very tricky on the ground, very skilled on the ground, doesn't bring a lot else to the table. And as you know, MMA is called mixed martial arts. The word mixed is in there for a reason. If you don't have a mixed set of skills, you're likely to struggle against many of the opponents you'll face in the UFC. And Gillian Robertson, I really feel like this could be a very tough matchup for her. It is an easy stylistic matchup for Frota because if she can keep the fight standing, she should be able to dominate. Robertson is basically a sitting duck in, in striking range. Like I said, no striking defense. And she doesn't have anything offensively that could hurt Frota. Uh, you know, if... If Sarah Frotter would keep this fight standing, if I felt confident she would keep the fight standing, I'd cap her at around about 90% because her advantages striking over Robertson are absolutely huge. Um, the frustrating thing about Frotter, though, is that she does actually have the skills to keep the fight standing. You know, Gillian Robertson hasn't got particularly good wrestling, uh, offensive wrestling. She's not particularly good at taking her opponents down. And when Frotta actually focuses on trying to keep the fight standing, her takedown defense is actually very good. You know, she's a big, strong, physically imposing fighter. And she'll also have a reasonably big size advantage in this fight as well. If we look at Frotta, she's five foot six with a 69-inch reach. Compared to Gillian Robertson, it's just five foot two. But when we look at both of these fighters, when we look at both these girls, Sarah Frotta is just much more physically imposing. She will have a big physicality advantage. That, again, will make it difficult for Robertson to get this fight to the ground. Because, like I said, Frotta does have pretty good takedown defense when she actually tries so you know to summarize 
the fight stays standing, I expect Frota to dominate. There's a very, very good chance she'll win by knockout or TKO. She also has reasonably good takedown defense. And as you can see here, she's wearing plenty of medals from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournaments. She is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. She's very skilled on the ground. So she can more than hold her own if this fight goes to the ground. I mean, Robertson's very offensive. She's got decent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. She's always attacking with submissions. But she also gives up position a lot. And... She, she, there's nothing to say she will have an advantage if this fight goes to the ground. Uh, Frotter can can handle herself for sure. So you're probably asking what the problem is. You know, with everything I've just said, Frotter's at underdog odds. Surely Frotter should be a no-brainer bet. Well, the problem with Frotter is that she does shit like this. So let me just show you this fight here. This is from her fight against Myra Dos Santos from around about just over a year ago in SFL and what's actually interesting while we're on the topic if you want to if you if you want to see why MMA is such a complex sport I recommend that you go and watch these two fights here because as you can see Sarah Frotter for Myra Amanyas uh, twice consecutively once in February 2018, once in August 2018, which means these fights were only six months apart. And in these fights, you know, Sarah Frotter fought exactly the same opponent and looked completely different in both fights. In this fight on Dana White's Contender Series, she looked like Jessica Andrade. And in this uh, fight, not so much, which you're about to see. So yeah, like I was saying... Everything that I've just said would make you feel like Sarah Frotter would be a good better underdog odds. But the problem is she does shit like this. So take a look and see what I mean. So here we've got Frotter in the in the in the black uh, you know black attire here. Uh, you know, walking forward very aggressively. Uh, you know, very, very heavy hands for a flyweight. Closing the distance, walking her opponent down and pulls guard. You know, to the naked eye, it looks like she got taken down there, but she didn't actually get taken down. She showed good initial takedown defense and then just basically pulled guard. She jumped to the ground. Watch, watch. So her opponent's in on a single leg here. And instead of trying to fight the single leg, you know, Frotter just decides she wants to go to the ground. So she just jumps to the ground. And straight away starts to go to rubber guard. This is the problem with Frota and starts fishing for 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 a uh, for an armbar. This is the problem with Frota because she's primarily a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. Just like Gillian Robertson, she's very happy fighting off her back. But as we know in MMA, nine times out of ten, being on your back is a losing position. And the one thing that I really dislike about Frota is that she just spends way too long on her back. Here we can see her go to the body triangle. When you see an opponent go to the body triangle off their back, that is a losing defensive position. That is not a fighter that is trying to attack with submissions or try to improve their position and work their way back to their feet. When a fighter goes to a body triangle off the bottom, they're basically trying to stall and just tie their opponent up. So it's a huge red flag. Nothing is achieved by going to the body triangle here. So this is red flag city from Frotter. Pulling guard, which is putting yourself in a losing position, being on the bottom. Also, being too happy fighting off your back, going to rubber guard and this body triangle. Just accepting being on the bottom for too long. 
So then if we scroll ahead a bit further on into the fight, uh, both girls are back up. And, you know, again, Frotter, aggressive striker, heavy hands. She starts walking her opponent down again. As you can see, her opponent's not liking the pressure. Frota's having a lot, of, a lot of success standing. Obviously, she's swinging for the fences, but she's got a lot of power for a flyweight. And she'll cause a lot of girls a pro problem standing because she's so physically imposing. She hits so hard that they're going to struggle to back her up because she's also got an excellent chin as well. There we see, you know, she literally met her opponent head on and caught a big left hook to the chin and just walked through it. But again, what happens just when it is it is clear, it is absolutely clear that her opponent is starting to struggle with the pressure. Just when it's clear Frota's is having a lot of success standing, walking her opponent down, landing big shots. What happens? Her opponent grabs hold of her leg and again, instead of trying to defend the takedown, we see Frota jump to the ground and pull guard. And again, go straight back to the body triangle. Red flag city. Rubber guard. Mission control, fishing for arm bars, all kinds of bullshit, and just spends way too long on her back. You know, she got taken down. Where are we? She got taken down. Well, she didn't get taken down. She actually jumped into the takedown, you know, two minutes before the end of round one and just spent, you know, the remaining two minutes of the round just fishing for submissions off her back. And she did actually submit her opponent, but. You know, bad fight IQ. And then we go to another fight from Sarah Frotter. Which is Sarah Frotter versus... I believe this is... Tatian Fontes, I believe. Yes, it is. So, we just saw some huge red flags in that fight, in the last fight. Are we going to see any more? Well, if we skip ahead here... Actually, no, let's let's watch a bit more of this fight. So this is the beginning of the fight. Again, Frotter comes out very aggressive, lands a big left hand. So this, this is what annoys me about Frotter. She's clearly very, very... She, she clearly hits very hard for a flyweight. She's clearly got a good chin. Clearly very aggressive. Because of her physicality and how hard she hits, a lot of girls are going to struggle to deal with her stand-up. Yes, she zombie modes forward and her striking defense isn't very good and she eats a lot of clean hard shots. But the fact is, because she's so physically imposing, the majority of girls in the flyweight division, at least at the level she's fighting at at the moment, they're not going to be able to back her up until she starts facing those top 10 girls like Andrea Lee. And if we just hit play here at the beginning of the fight... We can see that straight away Tatinai is just getting backed up straight away and she's worried about Frota's power. Here we can see Frota land a huge left hand. A huge left hand. But instead of trying to control the center of the cage, keep the cage in kickboxing range, pressure Tatinai and force her to fight on the back foot. After landing a big left hand, again Frota shoots in on a takedown. Now here this is very nice. She drives her opponent into the cage, goes with a full body lock, and easily gets a trip takedown here. Very nice. Straight into top position. Beautiful stuff. Absolutely beautiful. You know, it's clear that Frotter is a, a very, very skilled grappler. But you want to be you want to see her use her grappling offensively, like she is here. 
you know, driving her opponents into the cage, getting the body lock, working the takedown, and getting into top position. And then from here, we can see the Frotter's got a pretty heavy top game. You know, chips away at her opponent, landing some nice ground and pound, never in any danger. You know, Frotter's got a nice heavy ground game. You know, her opponent throws up an armbar here, but Frotter stays calm, systematically works through the position and defends it, never in any danger. Remains calm, steps over. And escapes the armbar, no problem. You know, Frot is very skilled on the ground. She's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. She knows what she's doing. And from this little sequence, they end up disengaging. So now, after everything that's just happened, Frota knows she has a huge advantage standing. All she's got to do is walk this girl down. There he throws a very, very heavy kick from the southpaw stance. Very, very heavy-handed, very aggressive, just walking her opponent down. You want to see more of this. Look at how hard she hits. You can see in all her past fights, particularly her fight on Dana White's Contender Series, girls really struggle to deal with their power, and she's got the chin to come forward and take shots in order to land them. If you get into a firefight with Frota, most girls in this division are going to struggle. But what happens... You can guess what's going to happen. Tati and I clearly struggling with her pressure. But instead of Frotter just marching her down, chipping away at her with power strikes, look how easily Frotter is able to back her up here. And look at how badly Tati and I struggles when Frotter starts to land. You can see her head gets snapped back. She is not liking the power here. What does Frotter do? What does Frotter do? You can guess what's about to happen. Pulls guard. Pulls guard. So uh, she goes from putting her opponent into a defensive shell and causing her big problems in striking range to pulling guard and going to the body triangle because she wants to be on her back. So it's very annoying. Very annoying. You don't need to see any more. So this is an annoying fight because Sarah Frotta absolutely has the skills to win this. She's got decent takedown defense when she actually tries to defend takedowns. She's a decent level of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on the ground so she can defend herself against Robertson. She has a huge advantage standing and she's very tough. And if she shows up and performs like she did on the Contender Series... She will murder Robertson. She'll KO her in one round. She looked like a bargain basement version of Jessica Andrade in this fight. And Jessica Andrade is so bloody good. There's no shame in being a bargain basement version of Andrade. She looked excellent in this contender series fight. So this is an easy fight for Sarah Frotter. Because she has the skills to win. But can you fucking trust her based on what we've just seen? No. No. She's not the type of fighter I like to bet on. Because she's the type of fighter that will implode and beat herself. So it's an easy pass for me. There's no way I'd bet Robertson because, well, quite frankly, Froter has the skills to dominate and KO her dead. Strongly recommend watching Froter's fight on the Contender Series to see what I'm talking about. Froter should win, but I'm not interested in betting her. You know, if we look at her odds... Currently around about a 2.25 underdog for an implied probability of 44%. I just can't trust her at these odds. You know, if she was 2.40, 2.50, you 
it would be a different story, but I made a decent profit on pre-fight betting this month. Don't want to set fire that hard-earned cash by betting on a, on, a, on a fighter that you just cannot trust to show up and perform to their full potential. So now we move on to the next fight between Jeff Neal and Nico Price. Now this is very cruel matchmaking by the UFC because Nico Price was absolutely flatlined in September against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Totally murked, out cold, dead. And now the UFC have matched him up against Jeff Neal who has a very, very similar style to Sadiq Youssef and hits just as hard. So it's brutal matchmaking from, from the UFC. I mean, you know, the last three fights Nico Price has been uh, has been given, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, nightmare opponent, Tim Means, nightmare opponent. You know, Price was getting dominated here before landing a Hail Mary KO. And now a very, 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 very difficult fight uh, against Jeff Neal. So this is an easy stylistic matchup for Jeff Neal. It really is. Um, he's got pretty good takedown defense and Nico Price isn't the strongest offensive wrestler. So very unlikely this fight goes to the ground. If it does go to the ground, Jeff Neal's very good at scrambling back to his feet and Nico Price doesn't have the best top control. So don't really see Nico being able to cause a problem for Jeff Neal on the ground. And if it stays standing, Jeff Neal has an enormous advantage. You know, Nico Price is very sloppy, very low level when it comes to striking. Very bad striking defense as well. He's basically a sitting deck. He's there to be knocked out. Um, and Jeff Jeff Neal hits like a truck. But unfortunately, you know, we've just said Jeff Neal's got big advantages in this fight. You know, he's, he is better than Nico Price everywhere. But unfortunately, that comes at a price because as we can see here, Jeff Neal is a big favorite. If we look at his odds at the moment, he's currently around about an average of 1.31 which is minus 3.23 for an implied probability of 76%. So to get any value on Jeff Neal here, you've got to cap him at, you know, 81% or better. And you just can't cap anyone in the division against Nico Price at those odds because Nico Price hits like a truck. He's got abnormal power for the division. And on his day, he can KO anyone dead. So it's quite a simple one, really. There's no way you can bet Jeff Neal at these odds because Nico Price could KO him, could KO anyone in the division. He hits very hard. But at the same time, you can't bet Nico Price because it's not smart to bet on a guy that only has a puncher's chance of winning. He's second best everywhere and he should get dominated. In fact, I do believe Jeff Neal will probably KO him in the first round. So that fight's an easy pass for me. Next fight, we are going to go on and talk about Alexandre Pantoja against Davis and Figueredo. Now, this is a tricky fight for betting because from a technical point of view, Alexandre Pantoja is better than Davis and Figueredo almost everywhere. I do think Figueredo is the stronger wrestler, but Alexandre Pantoja is a very high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. He was the Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach at Nova Uniao for a long time. And Definitely has an advantage striking. Figueiredo's got a power advantage. He definitely hits harder. But Pantoja is a much more technical striker, better boxer, throws a wider range of strikes. And 
He's also training at American Top Team, so he's making big improvements from fight to fight. And like I said just a few moments ago, Pantoja also used to be the the, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coach at Nova Uniao, you know, training some of the best fighters in the world like Raynan Barrao, Jose Aldo, Junior de Santos, and Claudia Gadeo. I say some of the best fighters in the world. They were some of the best fighters in the world. They may not be anymore. And like I say, training Claudia Gadea, he actually was one of her assistant coaches when she coached on the Ultimate fighter against Joanna Young Jacek and unfortunately that is not the only similarity he has with Claudia Gadea because just like Claudia Gadea he's also got super questionable cardio. Pantoja is a guy that slows down as the fight progresses and this is what makes this complex fight for betting because Yes, technically, he is better than Figueredo almost everywhere. The problem is he slows down as the fight goes on and he almost always loses the third round, which makes it difficult to bet on him, difficult to trust with your money, but also difficult to bet against him in matchups like this because he is better than Figueredo. And a, a real uh, detail to pay attention to in this matchup is that Pantoja, with his high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he's incredibly good at taking his opponents back and maintaining back control. And Davis and Figueiredo frequently gives up his back when defending takedowns and in scrambles or working his way back to his feet. So if Pantoja can find a way to gain control of Figueiredo's back, you know, he can control his opponents all day long from back control. That is his bread and butter. That's where he feels most comfortable. So if he could gain a position like that for two or three minutes in the first and second round, obviously that's going to help him conserve energy and pace himself. And then he might not slow down as much, which potentially means Pantoja could win the fight very comfortably. However, if Figueiredo can avoid being caught in those positions, forces Pantoja to work very hard, pushes a high pace in the first round. I mean, which Figueredo always does. Figueredo always pushes a high pace. If he can just avoid being caught in bad positions by Pantoja where, you know, Pantoja can take some time to catch his breath and more specifically I'm talking about back control, then it could be a very, very good stylistic matchup for Figueredo and Pantoja might struggle bad in the second half of the fight as he slows down. So that's why it's a complicated fight for betting because I very much see it going one of two ways. Either Figueredo pushes a crazy pace avoids bad positions, doesn't give his back up, forces Pantoja to work and then takes over and gets stronger and stronger as the fight goes on and probably wins a decision or he gets caught in a bad position early in the fight which enables Pantoja to pace himself with some back control and then Pantoja probably wins a decision. So if we look at the odds at the moment, Pantoja is currently around about a 1 point, call it 1.87 favourite which is minus 115 for an implied probability of 53%. And if we look at the odds on Figueredo, he's currently around about an average of 2.05, which is plus 105 for an implied probability of 49%. So the bookies are seeing this as a roughly 50-50 fight, and I agree with them. There's no point in really digging any deeper than that. The odds are spot on. There's no value here. There's no strong positions to be found. Again, hate to be boring. I definitely recommend passing on that one. There's no real way to know. Um, there's no real way to know who's going to win that fight. It's really going to come down to the odd scramble. Who's get the who gets the better of the scramble positions? I think if Figueredo can avoid being caught in bad positions early, he will win. Uh, you know, if he gets caught in some bad positions, you know, once or twice in the first and second rounds, it's going to enable Pantoja to pace himself, and uh, and Pantoja is probably going to win. So a proper coin flip fight. I wouldn't touch that one, guys. 
Uh, and that's the way it goes. It's, 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 you know, we're hunting for strong positions. We don't want to get our money in marginal positions. And what I would also say is, um, you know, there's plenty, plenty of fights coming up. You know, plenty of solid betting opportunities coming up. No point in putting good money in harm's way. So now let's go to the next fight that I want to talk about, which is Hakim Dawadu against Yozinori Ha Yozinori Hori. Hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, so Dawadu is one of the biggest favourites on the card. In fact, the odds have been improving on Cyborg in the last 24 hours. He might actually be the biggest favourite now. Let's take a look. Uh, no, he is not. But he is the second biggest favourite, sandwiched in between Jeff Neal and Cyborg. So his current odds are around, call it 1.27 for an implied, or 1.27 minus 370 for an implied probability of 78%. And you know what? I can see why he's such a big favourite simply because uh, Hori just doesn't do anything. He's very, very passive. You know, probably throws less than 10 strikes per round. Um, just a very, very passive fighter. He doesn't do a lot. No urgency. Struggles to put his stamp on rounds. Now, he does hit pretty hard. You know, he does hit hard. There's no denying it. You know, he's got a lot of wins by KO. But the problem is, like Chael Sonnen always said, when you try to win a fight by knockout, you often end up losing by decision. Just simply because while you're headhunting, your opponent is basically out outscoring you and outstriking you while you're looking to land that one killer shot. And I think that very much applies to this fight. Like I say, Hori's very passive, very tentative, doesn't do a lot, throws a lot a really low volume of strikes per round. And Dawadu is a very, very high level kickboxer, technical kickboxer. You know, he's had eleven pro fights, never been knocked out. It's not gonna be easy to catch him with a kill shot. It's a really difficult matchup for, for Hori because Dawadu should be able to chip away at him and outstrike him, and that's why he's such a big favourite. So, you know, there's no way I'd bet Hori. He's way too inactive, um, too passive, has a puncher's chance, but again, we don't bet on fighters that have got a puncher's chance unless the odds are absolutely insane, and in this case, they're not. Um, Dawadu should win easily, you know, might get caught with a bomb, might get knocked out, but certainly not worth betting on uh, on an outcome like that. You know, you want a fighter that you bet to be able to win on merit, not not through landing a lucky shot. So yeah, it should be an easy fight for Dawadu. And now, the final fight that I want to talk about in today's video, very, very last one, is Christoph Jocko against Marc-Andre Barrio. So this is a good stylistic matchup for Jocko. It really is because he is a very strong offensive wrestler. It's something he's built into his game over the last couple of years since moving to American top team. And he has got a heavy top game. And that should help him win this fight because Marc-Andre Barrio has super questionable takedown defense. Now, No one's really been able to make him pay for it up until this point in his career because he hasn't really fought many high-level wrestlers. But as you can see on his record, he has fought to a lot of split decisions. And that's mainly because his takedown defense is poor. His opponents can just put him in some bad positions and control him for periods. So if you want to get, you know, see for yourself why Barrio's 
takedown defense is super questionable. I recommend watching this fight from back in December 2017 against Stran Stringer Gavrilovich. And this fight is a good illustration of Barrio's poor takedown defense because Barrio gives up control of his body so easily to Gavrilovich. Now, Gavrilovich wasn't a strong enough wrestler to truly capitalize on that, even though he did have a lot of grappling control against the cage in this fight. But if you give Jocko those same positions, Jocko's just going to drag you to the ground and establish dominant position, no problem. So, stylistically, this is a good matchup for Jocko because Barrio makes a lot of mistakes defending takedowns. We know Jocko's very, very, uh, very, very skilled on the ground, has a very, very heavy top game. But the problem with Jocko is that he's never a safe bet because he's got bad fight IQ. He's very passive, doesn't have the best boxing, you know, he's striking all centers around his kicks. And that's one area where I would give Barrio an advantage over him. Barrio does have very slow hand speed, but I would say his boxing's at a much higher level than Jocko. And because Jocko's boxing isn't very good, he does occasionally struggle to back his opponents up and, and gets trapped with his back against the cage. And one of the more frustrating things about Jocko is even though he's a strong wrestler with a heavy top game, doesn't actually shoot that many takedowns. And he might shoot one takedown per round and if he doesn't get it, he abandons it and waits till the next round. He's probably doing that to pace himself, which I understand, but his cardio's always looked excellent. So I've always wondered with Jocko why he isn't isn't a bit more aggressive. He always seems a bit reluctant to just let it all go. And that's why he does tend to be involved in, in quite a lot of close fights or quite a lot of fights to go the distance. So the one thing that I would say about Jocko, though, even though he's not the best boxer... He does have pretty good footwork, he's very mobile, he's very light on his feet, and Barrio's stand-up's quite slow, he's got quite a plodding style, quite a flat-footed style, and his hand speed is slow, like I said. So, Jocko is a very mobile target, it won't be easy for Barrio to land on him. Also, Barrio is a former champion in a popular promotion called TKO, popular promotion in Canada. He's a big star there, two-division champion, middleweight and light heavyweight. And when he made his UFC debut against Andrew Sanchez, the crowd really got behind him in a big way. So he's very, very popular in Canada. Home advantage should be huge for this guy on Saturday night. You know, they're opening up the main card. We know home advantage is huge in, in Canada. We know that Canadian fighters win around 65% of the time when they fight non-Canadians in Canada on USC events. So that will be a big advantage for Barrio. And with Jocko's passive fighting style, it's kind of asking for trouble if you bet Jocko here just because he's got bad fight IQ. Sometimes he strolls to put his stamp on rounds and you can't trust him to just let it all go and fight aggressively. You know, if I felt confident that Jocko would come out and spam takedowns and, and utilize a grappling heavy game plan against Barrio, I would absolutely bet him. But with how bad Jocko's fight IQ is, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he came into this fight trying to win a kickboxing match against a very popular uh, heavy-handed Canadian that will have the crowd on his side and most probably the judges on his side. So if we look at the current odds, we have got Jocko at around about 1.60 which is minus 167 for an implied probability of 63%. And then we've got Barrio 
at odds of 2.50, which is plus 150 for an implied probability of 40%. So the bookies are basically calling this a 60-40 fight. I mean, to get any value on Jotko, you've got to cap him at around 70% here, and that's just a stretch. You know, Jocko's not the kind of fighter you can cap at those odds, especially when his opponent's tough and they've got home advantage on his uh, on their side. But at the same time, don't fancy betting Barrio here just because his takedown defense is so poor. So, again, this one's a pass from me, but I hope you found the information useful. Personally, these aren't fights that I think are very good for betting. I think if you bet any of these fights that I've mentioned in today's video, you really are putting your money in a lot of harm's way. I mean, I've tried to be as, um, you know, I've tried to be as, as balanced as possible, uh, but at the same time, there are just no strong positions. I mean, if we look at, look at the fights, uh, if we, I mean, we can just skim, skim through the card. I mean, Frankie Edgar thinks a tremendous value bet in the main event. You know, I actually think there's value on Cyborg now. If we look at the way her odds have improved, you know, you can currently get her at around about 1.20. Um, that gives her an implied probability. 1.20 is minus 500, giving her an implied probability of 83%. I actually think it's fair to cap Cyborg at 90% in this fight. I do think there's value there, despite the fact that her odds are... Uh, are disgusting value is value at the end of the day um you know no value in this fight between jeff neil and nico price just you know neil should kill him but price is heavy-handed he's got nuclear warheads grenades in those hands uh, olivier oban mercier against armand tazrukian um you know tazrukian's odds have improved a lot in the last 24 hours you know, they've improved up to around, call it an average of 1.60, which is minus 167 for an implied probability of 63%. But there are two two real issues I have with betting Tazrukian in this fight. Uh, the Well, three issues, actually. The, the first issue is that I don't actually think that his grappling advantage is that big if Olivier Aubin Mercier shows up and performs to his full potential. But also the other two red flags which just emerged in the uh, in the last, well, let's call it the last 24 hours or so, I guess. If we just skim through here. Where are you? Ah, here we go. If we just look at the weigh-ins here. Olivier walking out. If we just look at the weigh-ins, we can see Olivier Aubin Mercier with a huge size advantage over Taz Rukian, just a way more physically imposing man, much, much bigger than Taz Rukian. And we know, particularly in grappling-based fights, you know, size is a huge advantage. You know, there are weight classes for a reason. And Taz Rukian, he's one of these grapplers that relies a lot on picture-perfect, crystal-sharp technique. To, to do his work and the problem is that can get you into trouble sometimes when you face larger more physically imposing fighters that also have a decent level of technique I'm not saying Olivier Aubin Mercier is as technical a grappler as Taz Rukian. what I am saying is the size difference the physicality for Aubin Mercier might level the playing field quite a lot and also remember Aubin Mercier is Canadian he'll have home advantage on his side 
even at these odds, even in, at the improved odds for Taz Rookie, and I just don't see any value here because you'd have to cap him at close to 70% to get any value. And with the size advantage, home advantage as well, Olivier Aubin Mercier is no joke, man. He is no joke. He's got a heavy top game. He's a skilled grappler himself. Um, yeah, don't see any value there. Jocko Barrio's spoken about that. Uh, you know, Araujo's odds have improved a little today. 1.55, you know, minus 182 for an implied probability of 65%. But again, to get any value here, you've got a capper at 70%. And that's a stretch because there are some signs in her past fights that she struggles against pressure fighters. So just don't like these odds. There's just no value there for me, even though I think she wins. No value. And I wouldn't bet Alexis Davis just because she blocks punches with her face. I do believe Araujo is better than her everywhere. I just can't trust Araujo at those odds. We've spoken about Dawadu against Hori. Uh, Tucker against Choi. I do, again, I do favour Choi here. I shouldn't have closed the weigh-ins down. If we bring them back up. do apologise, guys. My, my video is probably lagging out loads. I'm doing this. But we'll have a cheeky little look now. Uh, I do think that next to Holloway, obviously Holloway's got a big advantage over our boy uh, Edgar, but I think next to that, Troy's probably got the biggest size advantage on the card. Here is our boy Tucker weighing in against Troy, and you can see Troy with a huge size advantage there, towering over Tucker. So definitely lean Troy in that fight. Uh, we can see he's around about even money. But the problem is, again, his takedown defense isn't great. Haven't seen Tucker for two years. He's been training at TriStar. Um, you know, Tucker's got home advantage as well. Choi's just not a strong position. I mean, he probably wins, but it's a gamble. It is a gamble. We've spoken about Pantoja Figueredo. Spoken about Robertson Frota. You know, Coke against Stewart. Coke's never a safe bet. You know, it's just, it's just not... Not not a great card for betting. Not too much I like on here. Hopefully Frankie comes through for us, although it is a big ask for the answer. It's a very risky bet. Uh, it's going to be a difficult one. Don't expect him to win, but it would be nice if he did. And, uh, I mean, Cyborg's tricky. I mean, what you do with her, there's definite value here, but definitely doesn't feel good betting on a big favourite. But, you know, she should be free money. I do expect her to dominate. So I hope you enjoyed today's video, guys. Uh, I will be back on Monday or Tuesday with part one for the next event, which is main evented by Robbie Lawler and Colby Covington. So I'll be out on Monday or Tuesday with part one uh, for that event. But hope you enjoyed the videos this week. If you did, please hit the like button below. Please also subscribe if you haven't already. And let me know what you think in the comments below. If, if you think I'm right about these fights. If you think I'm wrong. If you think I've missed anything. Uh, let me know what your bets are as well. I would love to hear about some of your bets. You know, even the prop bets. Things like that. And, uh, and yeah, take care guys. Have a great weekend. I hope you crush it tonight and make tons of money. And I will see you all next week. Too many thoughts on my mind. I can't sleep at night, so I just keep writing. I don't need no help. I don't need opinions, so don't waste my time then. I just been living online. My city don't show me no love, and that's fine. Fuck local radio stations. I got more plays than all of these rappers combined. I'm going, I'm going again. I've been going in. I'm fed up with so many things. I gotta just let it all out. I'm talking about the shit they've been talking about.